What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Miss Brenda Britton, we're strutting into your town, baby, for one time and one time only. And I heard the midgets are going to be in town, but what's on my mind is that after I get through with Bart Batten, who's trying to make a name for himself by making fun of Miss Brenda Britton, I'm going to go into that $2,000 bunkhouse, baby. I'm going to go in with my cowboy boots, my pink cowboy shoes, my pink cowboy pants, my big squat belt, baby. I'm going to beat the mess out of Batten. I'm going to knock the snot out of Rick McCord. I'm going to turn Rufus Blue, Rufus Brown, Black and Blue, Jaggers, Valentino. They're all going to be mine. That's right. This baby. is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the return of Spartacon. On Saturday, August 13th, and Sunday, August 14th, get on over to the Blue Crab Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland, and join our friends over at Spartacon. And Spartacon 2 is the only dedicated Spartacus fan convention in the United States, complete with live-action gladiator battles inside the arena, exclusive celebrity meet-and-greets with the stars of Spartacus, and so many more unique events Get on over to redserpents.com for more information and stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a little bit more info on how you can be a part of the return of our good friends over at Spartacon. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz. And John, today on the show, we're joined by one of the most renowned and revered pro wrestling trainers that there's ever been. He's also a quite distinguished veteran of the ring, working in nearly every territory that there's ever possibly been. He is very outspoken. He is the one and only Rip Rogers, and Rip Rogers joins the show in what is definitely uh, another one of those times where we can take the, uh, the microscope off of the actual career of the wrestler and talk about the business and Rip Rogers being everywhere that he's worked. It's a, it's an interesting topic to just stick with today's business and how he's helped train some of the biggest stars that are in professional wrestling currently. But John, before we dig in deep to the career of Rip Rogers, why don't you tell him a little bit more about what they can look forward to and tell him a little bit more about the hustler himself, Rip Rogers. Yes, Chad, back here again for another awesome episode at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And today is a world-renowned trainer and one of the greatest underrated wrestlers 
in the history of the business. That is Rip Rogers, and he's just awesome. And you know that it's going to be a lot of fun, and you know that you're in for something when the guy asks you before you go on air if you want a PG or if you want a triple X. <laughs> so Rip is a hilarious guy. Obviously, you know, you could say he's got a little bit of a, a mouth on him, but yeah, that is a part of Rip, part of who he is. He's very real, and, you know, there's no bullshit with him, and that's partly the reason why it makes him one of the best trainers in the business today a world-renowned trainer highly highly regarded as a trainer and he's one of those guys that the wrestlers go to if they really really want to learn the craft learn the psychology learn the selling learn what it is to be a professional wrestler there's no nonsense from rip and if you look at today's wrestling it's a little bit different than his era and he's trying to bring it back to you know the good old days if you will where there is no bullshit there's no you know second guessing it is what it is you do your job you do what you're supposed to do and you do it with a little psychology you do it with selling and he's just a great great trainer perfect example of what you need in this business definitely what i would consider old school and if you just think about all the ovw alums and all the guys that have trained under him they all absolutely love him I mean, you go with uh, guys that we've had on our show. Uh, Brad Maddox loved him. Kevin Thorne absolutely loves him. Renee Dupree loves him. So that's why the Hustler is one of the greatest trainers of all time. And you just go back and you look at all the guys that still love him today. And all the people that are training under him today wear the Hustler shirts. They're, they're constantly singing his praises. And they absolutely love him as their trainer. Absolutely, and when you think about OVW, you definitely think about Rip Rogers, and obviously he did help mold those guys that went through OVW, and it's a pretty big class and a pretty big crop of superstars that came through OVW on their way to the WWE in the mid-2000s, and Rip style, obviously, is very creative with the language that he has. He's very, uh, he's very outspoken. He speaks his mind in every single capacity known to man, and it's uh, kind of cool and creative to see what he does with some of those curse words and uh, some of the concoctions of, uh, of insults that he can come up with. And one of the things that I, I told in the, uh, the episode was how a good friend of the show, Kevin Thorne, really, uh, he really gives Rip a, a big tip of the cap for his development in his career, but also uh, verbatim use one of Rip's sayings to me of what he would tell everybody to get out of the ring and, you know, didn't uh, disappoint. <laughs> Rip did use that quote a little bit uh, into the show, which is very cool, and it just uh, goes to show you that he did leave an impression on his students, but you talk about the history of Rip and how he got into the business, and I think that that was actually my favorite part of the whole entire interview, and that is his history with the Poffo family, and John, I know you and I have been buzzing talking about that, and that was actually the clip that I threw up on YouTube to hype up the episode was that his association with the Poffos, and most specifically Randy Poffo, was uh, was quite the little uh, sidestep that we took in learning about how Rip Rogers got into professional wrestling. When you think about Rip, you think about his career, and yeah, you know, places here he was an enhancement guy or a jobber in this territory, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it, but he really wasn't. He was just one of those guys that's Mr. Dependable, will make the other wrestler look awesome and make him, make him look great, and I just love the story of him and the Poffos and ICW and learning under Angelo Poffo, meeting Lanny Poffo, and then of course, of course, the legendary, iconic, the greatest one, excuse me, one of the greatest of all time, because a lot of people have differing opinions on it. I know me and Chad think he is absolutely one of the greatest, and that is Randy Poffo, a.k.a. Randy Savage, a.k.a. the Macho Man. And you hear a lot of great stuff from Rip and how much he absolutely loves the Poffos and loves Macho Man. He considers Macho Man to be the greatest professional wrestler of all time, and he credits them for so much of helping him out in his career and really, really teaching him the business. And you get some really funny stuff from Rip saying he never really was trained. He didn't know what he was doing. So he kind of learned on the fly. And he really trusted these guys. And they really taught him the right way. And that's what he's trying to basically show the wrestlers today that he trains of what he learned and, and how he learned it and, and how to go about things. So he really is just a great example of a great trainer, but there's some awesome stuff on the early days of Macho Man Randy Savage, which you're just going to absolutely love. Anytime you get to talk about the Macho Man on the show, it just brings a smile to my face and Chad, I know it brings a smile to your face as well. And I know the audience is absolutely is encapsulated with the Macho Man too. But you know, 
you think about Rip and his career, he has literally wrestled everywhere. Canada, Mexico, Puerto Rico, where he was a big star, Japan, everywhere in between, all the territories. So it was a great look into the career of Rip Rogers. And hey, look out. There's going to be a part two coming your way sooner rather than later. Yeah, you don't even realize how fast it actually goes by, and we didn't even get a chance to dive deep into some of those territories that he was in and getting to know some of the uh, the guys that he worked with and even talking about places like Stampede or down in Memphis. Like We talk about it, but we weren't able to really dive deep and dig deep as you know Primetime likes to do when we break down the nuts and bolts of the career of the guests that we have on, but definitely want to throw a big shout-out to Rip Rogers, the hustler for coming on and take a listen to his plugs and go buy yourself one of the hustler t-shirts they're probably one of the best t-shirts that's actually on prowrestlingtees.com uh next to of course the two-man power trip shirts but uh besides that the hustler t-shirt is one of the most original and probably one of the sharpest looking of the whole entire bunch but speaking of pro wrestling tees in the two man power trip store. We want to remind you that not only is today's episode brought to you by the return of Spartacon, but we also want to remind you that this coming Saturday, July 23rd in union, New Jersey, as previously heard on the two man power trip road warrior animal will be appearing at wrestle pro alongside another one of our good friends. He's already been mentioned today on this episode twice or three times actually. And that's Kevin Thorne and they'll be performing in union, New Jersey, Again, on Saturday, July 23rd, get on over to WrestleProOnline.com to reserve your tickets. And of course, we want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the return of Spartacon. And that's Spartacon 2 heading your way on Saturday, August 13th and Sunday, August 14th in Waldorf, Maryland. Come join the Red Serpents and get in the only Spartacus fan convention in the United States. It's the biggest Rebels convention ever, complete with cosplayers and artists and exhibits and celebrity guests, stuntmen, stunt coordinators, CrossFit trainers, Legion instructors, and you just never know what you're going to find at the one and only Spartacus fan convention in the United States. It's the return of Spartacon, and it's headed your way on August 13th and August 14th in Waldorf, Maryland at the Blue Crab Stadium. Get on over to RedSerpents.com for more information and also a complete list of celebrities in attendance and how you can secure a special hotel rate if you're coming from out of town for the return of Spartacon. And John, with all that being said... Hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the hustler, Rip Rogers. Now for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Pal and at Two-Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We are always putting up the latest and greatest excellent and amazing clips from us so check us out there also subscribe to us on itunes leave us a review we would love to hear your feedback also check out the website tnptofwrestling.com that is tnptofwrestling.com and also don't forget to type it into the old google machine there the i-95 sports network you can check us out there again that is the i-95 sports network now for those interested in booking kevin Furtick, aka kevin thorne aka mordecai Please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com for further details on that. And now, without any further ado, a former NWA Central States Television Champion, a former three-time OVW World Heavyweight Champion, and one of the infamous and greatest trainers in the history of the wrestling business, he is the hustler, Rip Rogers. Please enjoy. Tonight is a man simply known as the Hustler. He's been in literally every promotion that you could possibly think of, and he's worked every single big star or great worker that you could possibly name off the top of your head. 
He's a trainer to the stars, and I've heard some really great stories about him down in OVW. He is the one and only Rip Rogers. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Okay, thanks for having me on here, guys, first of all. Oh, it's our pleasure. And like I said, I was just talking to Kevin Furtig earlier today, and he had some, uh, some great stories about you and your days training down in OVW. And he said one of the things that he wished he could have done was thank you a little bit better because he said he credits you so much with a lot of his advancement in his career. And I think that's a great place to start because his crop of guys is like the last crop before what we see now in the WWE. And we just saw the top star in the WWE get popped for a steroid violation. And is that something that in this day and age you just shake your head at that these guys can still be kind of so ignorant that in a publicly traded company you can get popped for something so stupid? Who got popped for that? Roman Reigns. Oh, well. well uh, I, I don't know what to say. Because uh, they know they're going to get drug tested. And uh, his spot is already secure. So there's really no need for it. It ain't like you're training for the Olympics and everybody else is on it or whatever. It's a cosmetic thing. Uh Get up earlier, uh, train harder. That's simple. He's already figured in. They already said no matter how rotten you are, we're going to grow with you. And it's not his fault because you got to remember, years ago, he'd worked 10 years in the territories, have 2,000 matches, uh, learned to work head and face, field, tag team specialists, different kind of gimmicks, whatever. On every kind of promo, you see every angle. You, all, you see all different kind of, of uh, TV makes ups. And now all of a sudden they're taking, uh, excuse me, goose off the street. Or their, or their indie guys, oh yeah, you had a, a 24 matches this year against other indies. Okay. So now they take them and they put them in developmental, and all of a sudden these guys have never made any money, never done fuck all, and all of a sudden they're idolized, and it's got to go to their head because no normal person could be just some uh, Joe off the street and all of a sudden be on worldwide television. How many hours a week idolized? The guys, all of a sudden, first of all, because they're the non-pussy getting inside of town, all of a sudden every girl in the world wants to give them a goddamn blowjob, you know, and what the fuck are you supposed to do? You're just a goddamn nobody. You could have been working at the factory, and all of a sudden, you're the goddamn champion making the millions of fucking dollars. You're going, holy shit, I'm over. You know, they don't realize it can be all over just like that. Some people get strike 10. Some people get strike 1, never to be seen at some again. Now, you know me, I'm going to get on a goddamn roll and start fucking talking, and I'll get away from the subject if I'm too goddamn vulgar, tell me. <laughs> no, definitely not too vulgar, and uh, not getting off the subject at all, because one thing with Roman Reigns that I actually find pretty interesting, and you kind of touched on it being a guy like off the streets, but with his, quote, pedigree of being in you know the Samoan dynasty, and Sika being his dad, and learning you know from such a young age uh, how maybe he should have been you know, indoctrinated into the business, but came through the, quote, factory of the WWE Performance Center. You think that's just all hype? You think that that's going to end up crumbling WWE's business because these guys are just all robots and they all look the same? Uh, well, I always said the, uh, the professional wrestling business, and I don't give a fuck about sports entertainment, and I've never seen Roman Reigns work. As a matter of fact, I've watched maybe one hour since 2002. Uh, so most of the guys, I've never seen them. I'll see something on Twitter or whatever, so I have no idea how they work. But as far as you can't have, it's like McDonald's hamburger where every hamburger is the same. You need a goddamn Dick the Bruiser, Mad Dog Deshaun, a Ernie Ladd, a Wahoo McDaniel, uh, a fucking uh, a Playboy Buddy Rose, a superstar Billy Graham. You need a guy that's different. Every match needs to be different. Every match needs to have different psychology. You can't have 10, 10 matches with three clothesline bumps, fucking feed motherfucker, no talented motherfuckers. You can't have that. You can't have, everybody can't have music or music means nothing. Everybody can't have their move set because it's a, this thing Jerry Lawler worked for 30 years and a goddamn every Monday night and he went out and did the same shit every week. God damn, you wouldn't watch that shit at all. You know, uh, now, now I'm getting off on the fucking... Oh, anyway, yeah, right, <laughs> it's got to be a goddamn circus. We need the fat lady, the bearded lady, the giant, the midget, the sword swallower, 
the guy that eats fucking uh, live goldfish, uh, the man with three arms, the guy with four cocks, the immortal die, whatever. You need the whole act out there. We can't have every. If everybody's got abs, abs mean nothing. If everybody's got music, music means nothing. If everybody's got their particular entrance or whatever, then it means nothing. They're not all main eventers. They're leadoff hitters, they're second, second place, third place hitters. You're not all the goddamn quarterback. Your guy's trying to make the goddamn team. There should be upsets in fucking wrestling. Holy shit. But anyway. Uh, the, uh, the question was, can everybody work alike and uh, look alike? Uh, hell no. Fuck no. They killed the wrestling business. Now they'll go into these regular towns that used to go in weekly, and they can't draw what they used to do weekly twice a year. So uh, you tell me, oh, it's the greatest ever. Yeah, for making money, yes. For being on, uh, I guess, SBs and make it mainstream or whatever, yes. They killed the rat. They killed the wrestling uh, they told everybody it's not real. So if the major company has told everybody it's not real, am I am I still still supposed to act like it is? No. But then I got to wait for the question. <laughs> no, you're so right, and it's so great to listen to uh, to your perspective on it because obviously you've seen it all, and it's uh, it's kind of funny because I look at you know that crop in OVW that went on the last you know ten years to really be now the veterans. Of you know the uh, now some guys on the independent scene, some guys still kind of sprinkled in to TNA and WWE. Mm-hmm. Those guys were brought to OVW when WWE was a part of OVW to develop characters and to develop those entrances and to get flashy and to learn promos and this and that. But could you see that some of those guys might have been like the last you know uh, extension to more of the territory era, and that they didn't really need as much seasoning; they just needed that like WWE stamp on them. I, I, I can't answer that. I just knew when I was down there, I thought it, I was the only guy. I did everything. Uh, I was the one that taught. I never got I never got told one thing to do by them. Not one thing. I just taught guys how to wrestle. And what they would always do if they if they would. Uh, they train this guy as a heel, like, like, of course, they'd bring him up as a baby face. So it took me a while to learn their fucking MO. Each of my, and then I would tell everybody, the shit, you know, I, it was a norm in the class to an hour Broadway. With no pre-planned bullshit allowed, you have to learn your product. You know, you have to learn how to fucking call some bitch in the goddamn ring. If not, I hit the goddamn ring with the fucking kid, or I ring the bell, bang, get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way. And that's the way it is. Hell, I had got some YouTube to a two-hour match. I had guys uh, a couple months ago uh, in my class doing a, a, a two-hour match plus. Just because the other guy said, "Oh yeah, we had the record down." Well, record's gone now. They broke it. You know what I mean? But this is a fucking art. They don't teach an art. They teach. They teach you how to memorize a script. So there's no feel. It's just going through the motions of what happens if they if somebody forgets. Oh my God! Now, if he was on the fucking question, <laughs> I forgot again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying about OV. No, I said about OVW that those guys they they were like the last extension to the territory era. I feel like because they had seasoning for the most part. But, you know, WWE had to get their stamp in and make them, you know, more cartoony or flashy or everybody needs the theme music. That's actually, that's a great point because I think that that's ridiculous because anybody can just walk down the ring and just say, oh, this is your theme music, this is this. That kind of stuff, essentially, I mean, you know, Vince McMahon, WWE, they made that, you know, what it is, but it's just too much. And that kind of takes the crowd out of it when everybody does have that same crap, you know, each match, everybody's got the same thing. Well, they obviously don't give a shit because they're selling their dolls or whatever they sell these things. Okay? Now, they got the three-hour raw, and I have no idea how long the SmackDown is, but the only reason they have that, they know it's too long because wrestling is nothing but an infomercial. Now, if it's three hours long, it's three hours long because it's guaranteed money from USA or whatever network they're on. So that's big-ass guarantee. So when you're sitting there in the audience, which people swear they'll never come back to TV again because they're there for goddamn six hours, 
with all the, the pre-show, this, the main event afterwards, blah, blah, blah. On a school night and a work night, you're basically saying, fuck you, uh, <laughs> uh, you will never want to come back here again. Because, you know, it's like sitting in a goddamn movie. Hell, most places in the territory give a two-hour show. Any more than that, the butt, the butt gets tired, you want to get the hell out of there. You're sick of it. And it should be, I can't wait to come back. And said, oh, fuck, I ain't never coming back this bullshit. Hmm. It's, a good, it's definitely, definitely a good point. You know, we're talking about how you were such a good trainer, and so many guys like uh, Kevin Furtick, who we mentioned, like Rene Dupree, and so many guys on Twitter, um, Deanna Ferrazzo, so many guys and girls, you know, they, they, they critically claim they love you, they love the hustler, you're such a great trainer. But what about you in general? Like, how did you get your start? Who was basically a big trainer in your career that made you such a good trainer yourself? Well, yeah, this is a hell of a risk. Because I got in the business and wasn't even smart. Hmm. <laughs> now, I tried, I tried to get into Fern Gagne's camp, but he just had a camp. Steamboat was in there, Buddy Rose was in there, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I wrote him a letter, and he wrote me back and said, come back next year. Now, would I have made it? Fuck, I doubt it. They had goddamn Billy Robinson, Iron Sheik, everybody stretched everybody and killed them. You know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I bullshit my way into business, got my columns on the guard stuff, and my buddy Steve Cooper, got, uh, he had a match down at Oak Hill, West Virginia TV. He called me, brought me down there the next week. So, hell, it's my first goddamn match, and I'm not even smart in business. So, I'm wrestling B.B. Uh, uh, Coleman, who used to do jobs for fucking WWF, and, of course, four weeks later, I was doing jobs in WWF, because he took me there. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, the guys tell him, I'm, I, oh, you're built good, you go over. I'm thinking, go over what, right? He said, <laughs> well, you, will you go, would you go home when, when, uh, when we give you the pencil? I said, okay. So I'm thinking, what the fuck, go home. I just got here. When I get the pencil, <laughs> what the fuck? You know what I mean? So oh, now yeah. I'm working as, I'm working B.B. Coleman the ring, fucking, he says, grab my arm. I'm going, fuck you, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he fucking hit. So he hits me. I said, "Fuck!" That didn't even hurt. But he hits me hard. Boom and fell. I, oh fuck! So that's better. I go, "What the fuck?" You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we could. We, I could talk an hour on this goddamn match right there. But anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up working for Dick the Bruiser and in uh, the old Sheik. I do Sheik TV. I'd work Bruisers. Uh, some on the loop here, and then Bruiser got me booked for Geico TV, St. Louis TV, St. Joe TV. I did uh, Nick Gula's Christmas show, and, then, and I met Lanny Poffo. When I met Lanny Poffo, uh, all of a sudden they were going to go up in the Maritimes in summer of 78, and Randy called me. And I'd see Randy on TV at a wolf against Dutch Mantel, so I knew who the hell he was. So we bullshit on the phone, and we were approximately the same age, and then uh, he took a liking to me because I trained. I was a fucking real-ass goddamn athlete. And uh, and I told him I didn't know I didn't know anything, but I did my best to just shut the fuck up and do as I'm told because I was an idiot. So he took me under his wing. Uh, I worked the Maritimes up to Papo and Rene Renee Dupre's dad, Team Hill. That was the first year they had TV in '78. And then when the summer was over, Randy got me booked into Nashville for Nick Gulas. And then uh, after my run there, his dad Angelo got me booked down for Frankie Kane in Mississippi. And in between time, Lanny got me booked for two runs for Don Owens out there in Portland. And when I was in Portland, I got to work Vancouver some. So basically, then I became business partners with the Popos. So I was basically Popoized. So everything I learned in the business was basically Randy Savage, his father, his mother, and, and his brother. So I was with them in ICW for uh, from March 13, 1979, until April of uh, uh, 83. So about four years, and then uh, Ronnie Garvin got me booked in for Watts, and then uh, I kept going and, and, and whatever. So basically, I was never trained. I learned in the ring. Uh, I was the stupidest guy in the world. I didn't know if it was even real or not. I got all the magazines. I was a member of the handsome Jimmy Valiant fan club. Uh, <laughs> I love fucking pro wrestling. I could get Bruiser's tape, then I could get uh, the Louisville tape, Google's tape, then I could get out on, then I could get Sheep's tape late at night if I got the antenna right. You know, on a Saturday night at midnight, I could uh, get on the uh, 
do the rabbit ears thing. I could even get a little bit of, of uh, black and white grainy, still golden all-star wrestling out of Paducah, Kentucky. So I would see a little bit of everything. But that's, but that's how I got in. And basically, I was trained by the Popos and so many matches. And then it, it just took off from there. And as far as teaching, I never even thought about teaching. It just come up. And then I was always, uh, I got OCD, so I was always real focused on what I could do. So I just got into the teaching mode. And could just, and you got to remember, I never taught anybody before I went to WWE. So I'm having guys do nothing but fucking drills, and then you can teach these matches together. Situational wrestling and stuff. Uh, Well, guys were so over-prepared for a fucking job that they just stood out. But I uh, pushed guys. I would use every method there was, positive, negative reinforcements, threatening with this and that, to get uh, get the job done. Uh, I was a rookie at it. Nobody knew you wasn't supposed to do this and that, (laughs) Hmm. or whatever. But I treated them all the same, like dogs, you know, so... uh, it was my job to make them good, not be their buddy. And that's what I tried to do. Which is great because, uh, uh, you know, obviously you had such an impact on so many of these guys that are obviously still around today and some of the big names today. But, you know, you mentioned the Macho Man Randy Savage and what the Poffos meant to your career. Yeah. Randy, Randy Savage, that is one of the greatest of all time. But what kind of influence did the Poffos have on you? Like, what did they actually train you and what were they teaching you as you're coming along? Well, it was basically, they never told me anything. It was just observing, okay? And I watched them, I watched us create that ICW territory. And at one time, we had like 16 TV markets. Uh, me and Randy lived together, and he'd do all the booking, all the finishes. And then he'd get me all wound up. So we ended up being in bodybuilding contests and shit while we were wrestling every day. So he taught, he taught me about pushing. His father taught me about being dependable. And uh, hell, his, his dad was 58 years old and did sit up the whole time on the TV show. So you're looking at this guy as a like a god. And then he, he'd get that Mercedes. And if we had a 350-mile trip one way. He'd drive every mile there and every mile back. And my ass would be stuck in the back with Three other big guys. <laughs> well, it was the step five in the car. Couldn't move, right? And you knew that when you it was time to take a piss, you better take it. Because <laughs> 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 we ain't waiting on you. But uh, we worked every day except uh, uh, New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve. Sometimes two shows on a Saturday, sometimes two on a Sunday. And you learn to work. You learn to call it into rain. You learn to what everybody does. And hell, there wasn't no teaching videos. Hell, VCRs, it would cost $29 for a goddamn tape. You know what I mean? So there wasn't this access to seeing all this other shit. There wasn't no internet. You would see Harley Race for the first, first time when you met him. You'd see Roddy Piper for the first time when you met him. You would see Mike Graham the first time. Wahoo first time. Holy first time. Uh, Pat O'Connor, first time. Dick the Bruiser, uh, uh, Mad Dog, Bruno, you know, you would see him. And a lot of these guys, I've seen them in magazines, you know what I mean? And I've never seen them work before because you know, there was only the uh, uh, the local TV and no cable at that time. Definitely a different world back then, and it's awesome that you're learning from obviously one of the best in his family as you're moving along. On the business, but after ICW, where do you kind of venture off to? And it was it because of Randy? Did Randy kind of get you into maybe NWA or or wherever you went next? No, it was basically uh, it's like I was working. Uh, Randy wanted me to buy in, so I bought in. And of course, Randy was Randy, so he would get mad about shit. So then all of a sudden. Here I was, about everything you'd always ask, at least in my mind. Never missed a show because of injury or illness. And all of a sudden, we was like best friends, and all of a sudden, he was mad at me. So he told me he wanted me out. I said, okay, he wanted me out, then I'm out. You wanted me in? Fine. You wanted me out? Fine. 
No, I didn't see some bitch again for fuck. I don't know how many years, 12 years, something like that. But in the meantime, the, the sad part about it was he was so great. And when you saw him at WWE, he had been better before. But <laughs> nobody knew that. And because he was a, uh, it was a watered-down version, is what they said. I mean, that's like when they put him in all them funny clothes. That was a rib because he was the worst dresser than me. He was a bigger <laughs> slob than me. <laughs> he was the worst dresser than me. He was always losing his teeth, you know. But so everything in WWE is rib. You know, it's like the Bulldogs. They made him take that stupid dog around. So, of course, <laughs> Dynamite would give it steroids and die or whatever. And Jake the Snake had to carry that fucking snake around. So they're going to make you money, but he's going to rib you and make you uh, miserable, you know. So, so that was that. But I learned basically everything from fucking men. You never realize what an education is getting complete. Then you realize you're capable of doing anything. You can go baby face, you can go heel, you can handle any slop there is. You know how to have a first match, you know how to second match without stepping on anybody's toes. You know how, uh, if you're on third, to watch the first and second match and do whatever they did. So, whereas if you're in the main event, you're going to watch the finishes in the other matches. And you might incorporate them as, as false finishes because people have already bought it as a finish. So that's just you as a performer uh, doing what you should do. Is that something that's kind of a lost art today? Because you see a lot of the same matches you'll see over and over again in guys in the same movie. Are they just not watching the matches that are going on before them? Uh, I'm not there, so I don't know. They're probably told what they're doing by the agents, and the agents probably not checking what the other agents are doing. That's why I always wanted one booker doing all the matches. You know what I mean? And I don't want the booker to be a performer because now he's got ulterior motives. Uh, that's why... Uh, and what happens, too, is a lot of guys are put under pressure to... Uh, the first match would be like a first match. And what happens is guys are trying to one-up each other to make sure they're pulling their load. But a lot of times, that's not what's needed. What's needed is, no, no, this is a... Uh, no, I just want you chain wrestling him with a forearm and pinning. That's it, one, two, three. Now the forearm's over. Because the, match, the next match is going to throw 60 punches and that one's going to mean make, your, make them believe your match is real. All the other ones could be phony bullshit. They can do 99 high spots. All fly to the floor where you can't do anything less there unless uh, you can hit somebody on the floor. So the last I heard it was either pin or submission in the ring. You ever notice how WWE never has a fucking clock on there unless it's a draw? <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. But anyway, I, I start rambling again, so what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've literally wrestled almost everywhere. It's crazy if you just go through all the names you wrestled in all different places, but I kind of wanted to stop on Memphis for a little bit, because I know you spent a few different times down in Memphis and CWA and working for Jerry Jarrett, and you did a lot of uh, good matches like Dutch Mantel and guys like that, and, and obviously, you know, working for Jerry Lawler. So what was your experience like down there in the crazy place of Memphis, Tennessee? Well, I didn't think Memphis was crazy at all because, hell, I'd been in ICW. I'd been <laughs> in ICW before Randy actually threw the brick through all his goddamn front window. So uh, I'd been there in ICW when Randy come up and sucker punched Dundee and broke his jaw, and they paid me. Hell, I just got down to the physique contest, and I was going to the gym to work out. So... After after ICW, when we showed up at Rupp Arena in Lexington, Randy had blades on his finger. We was under instructions to beat up all the goddamn mental guys if there's any fucking trouble. Hell, after that, you know, uh, they never trusted me in Memphis for some reason. <laughs> because I was I was popolized. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I remember working with Lawler down in, uh, they had a thing on always TV called what the, some kind of dream match. It was like me and Bob Roof and somebody against, like Tommy Rich, uh, uh, Jerry Lawler, and I think it was Darwin or whatever. But I remember Lawler, Lawler was, was scared I was going to hurt him, you know what I mean? And shit, I couldn't beat you or your sister. So that's all irrelevant. <laughs> but but, but he, he had just seen me as, 
one of the ICW group, and uh, uh, you always had sort of had to have like one eye open. <laughs> <laughs> That's great because you know everyone always hears the story of how Macho Man kind of a loose cannon or you know crazy guy. So he's really that crazy in real life, not just the character. I never seen Randy out of character. Huh. Never. That's like now. Look how smart this guy was. He was a natural, a National Honor Society student, tremendous athlete in high school, uh, played pro baseball, and actually led the rookie leagues in home runs with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murray, who's in the Hall of Fame, with over 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Okay, and then he'd been brought up in the wrestling business his whole life. So you can imagine how smart he was. Well, I'm just a dumb fuck. His dad worked at the post office and watched wrestling when wrestling wasn't cool. And uh, I didn't have any knowledge. And here this motherfucker comes in, and then he was so goddamn intense. Uh, was he paranoid? Uh, well, let's just say uh, uh, that's for you to judge. So. <laughs> but if but if but if I was living if I was if you was living with me and I had a gun under my pillow, would I be paranoid? If you was living with me and whenever we went into a restaurant, I had to have my back to the wall so we could see everybody come in without <laughs> turning on. So, you can, uh, <laughs> or anybody, I saw the way he was looking at me. I, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, he type whatever, it was that any personality or whatever, but then again, that type of shit drives you to greatness and not mediocrity. Well said, for sure, and it's his career is amazing, and all of his stories, you know, from everyone that's ever met him, any of the workers, it's just awesome to hear, and, it, you know, sometimes it's kind of funny with the, the paranoia and stuff, but as we start to wind it down a little bit here, got to ask you, because you literally wrestled, I mean, I said it before, but everywhere, all Japan, WWC in Puerto Rico, WCW, Smoky Mountain, WWF, uh, uh, for Global, for the wing promotion in Japan. I mean, it goes on and on. But do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple favorite matches that you've had in no, your career? No, no, They're all the same. All you are is a tradesman asked to lay some brick in this match, put the TV together in this match, do some roofing on that match. You're asked to work with guys some of them were greater than you. Some of them were the absolute shits. Some of them were half smart. It was up to you to do whatever the promoter in what slots you wanted. How to get so much heat. But it was good for the promotion, good for the program, good for the booker. Where down the line it would tell a story. And you did your part. A lot of times, like I, I booked Kansas City in Puerto Rico and... Uh, a lot of things you get into, uh, a lot of, if you're really good, a lot of times you're sort of abused because you have to carry it. You carry guys that can't do anything. So it's on you to make the match good. Can you imagine how good you had to be as the old NWA champion? Well, you had to go pretty much 60 as a baby face or a heel in all these different territories. That's how good you had to be. You might have to go 60 with some guy you've seen twice in your life, and if there were separate dressing rooms, and it was the old call called in the ring, let your finish hold, and then at the, end, the last minute, uh, I'll lead you to a comeback, you put it on me, and we'll run out of time. So, and then, back, oh, back to, back to the championship matches. Every championship match, you two out of three balls. So the first ball, I win it with my signature move. The next one, you do it with your big hold. Then the third fall, they've actually seen a fall taken with those holes, so they believe in them. Then the third fall, you would work because you was going to do the first fall anyway. But they, hmm. but they got to be like a figure four, me submit, abdominal stretch, you submit, or whatever it is. And they've lost that on. You need in in any. In any contest, you need to give people winners and losers. You don't go there to see a DQ, and you need upsets. In any sport, there are upsets. You got it's a hell in the NFL. Hell, the goddamn the Giants with they got two Super Bowls, and 
hell I think they were wildcat and baby basically eight and eight going in nine and seven or whatever but they have upset and you it, when you can call the action who cares it's like uh, as far as marks getting involved the wrestling business is ruined it'll never go back again but you can make them think your match is still real and everybody else is in focus that's hey, true. is this Aaron tonight or is this Aaron later on or down during the week or what? Tuesday. When is it? This coming Tuesday. Okay, by Tuesday I'll have done my seminar at, at IWF for Kevin Knight. It'll be over with, so I'll come back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a favorite territory that you work because my god I mean think about all the those no, amazing territory no, days you worked no. you all had good ones and bad ones ones that were better now this is how stupid I was I never got into it for the money time. Hmm. it was I just wanted to travel learn different styles and if I had a roof over my head that was fine and didn't really care about it because I wasn't going to spend no money anyway. But I wanted hmm. to see all the different. I wanted to see the stars. I wanted to get in the ring with them. I wanted to see if they had a brain or if they were total retards, one or the other. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to learn different uh, uh, booking techniques and angles because years ago, uh, it's like uh, Buddy Rogers would bring his whole crew in and then they would do angles and he would move on to somewhere else to do the same shit with everybody else did. But now you do you do one thing on cable and now you're fucked and you don't see it again and now have it seen. Now you gotta do something like that but with it go off the fear off some way. Now I was rambling again, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Uh, I just was curious because you, I mean think about all the big names that you worked and all the huge guys, I mean, even if you go to Japan, Sawa and Giant Baba, Chris Benoit in, in Canada and Pillman. Is there any guy yeah, that sticks out you, as you, a favorite you, opponent? No, no. you, you got to remember, when I'm working with these guys, they're really not any good. It's early in their career. Hmm. They ain't worth a shit here. In the beginning of your career, it's like Major League Baseball. You check, like, you check that learning curve when you get in there, right? And you can see how you, each year you get a little bit better. Then you plateau, and there's that gradual decline. In the wrestling business, is first you get a name, and just because uh, the name's because somebody likes you, it has nothing to do with talent. A lot of guys you thought were great, they were fucking horrible. They couldn't fucking act, they could not do fucking anything. But it was your job to make, to do what they could do well, and then never make them look stupid. And that's what you're supposed to do. But uh, the thing about wrestling is we're all human, and you look upon them as gods, which is wrong, because everybody is a flawed human. They're all drunks, not all, but I mean they're drunks, drug addicts, steroid fucking freaks, uh, fucking uh, uh, sex maniacs, or whatever, which is a good thing. But what I'm saying is they are not rocky. Sylvester Stallone is not rocking your Rambo. So when you're looking at, hey, let's just say Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan is not Hulk Hogan. He's just the guy he's portraying on television. And pretty much out in, in real life, he's doing as he's portrayed on television. And you're portrayed on television as uh, what the boss wants. That's like, if, if Vince says, this is what I want in my matches, that's what you do. What I tell everybody, I said, first I, I will teach you how to work. I will give you all this knowledge. As soon as you get a job with WWE, you forget all that shit that I showed you. And you go out and do exactly as you're told. Because the boss loves somebody that loves to do what they're told. They're not asking for your opinion. It's his money. He's paying you, so do as you're fucking told. It's simple. If I work at goddamn Walmart and fucking Sam Walton says, uh, uh, sweep the fucking uh, uh, parking lot all day, that's all I want you to do, that's do. Even if he was a goddamn nuclear physicist or chemist who could help him in something else. Fuck that. Just do as your goddamn told. Hmm. Would that be kind of what you would say 
to you, you know, the guys that you're training today, it's kind of like do what I taught you, but then when you, you know, you make it somewhere else, you make sure you do what you're told at all times. Oh, that's what I tell them all. I said, now this right here will help you if you get stuck or somebody else gets stuck, you can always come out and save it. But, then, but, but basically, they want to give you a script and you memorize it and do it. You don't have to be any good. We will give you an entrance. We will give you a song. We'll show you how to walk to the ring. We will show you every camera angle there is and to work towards that. And uh, if you're talking too loud, that's okay. We'll, we'll dub it out. If you miss the guy three feet, that's okay. We've got a different fucking camera angle. So uh, really, you don't have to be really any good today <laughs> to be projected as being good. But then again, you never did have to. If somebody liked you, you were in. If somebody didn't like you, or you were too good and made somebody look good, look, hey, if, if, you had, if you had a better body than the other guy, and he was being pushed, they'd squash you. Uh, if, he was a, if he was too hot looking as a girl, they got rid of you. If you could wrestle better than the other fucking girls, they got rid of you because you made the other girls look like they were stupid. In any, uh, <laughs> if you're overqualified, it's hard to get a goddamn job. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's what a lesson in professional wrestling this has been. I gotta say, so refreshing. But Rip, before we let you go, before we get to the plugs, I just want to just kind of nail this with one kind of wrap up, and that is, what would you say your legacy is? These guys that you train that are coming up, they still they they credit you with so much, but you've been so well traveled, and like you said, you don't have favorites when it comes to territories or opponents or matches. But what would you say your legacy is, and the stamp you left on professional wrestling is at the end of the day? Let's see, I'm old, broke, toothless, and crippled. Uh, please send money. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, please share with the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling just exactly where they can find a place where they can send that money to the hustler himself, Rip Rogers. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on, I'm on uh, Twitter and Hustler 2754. Rip, we really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, like I said at the top, uh, Kevin Fertig sends his best. He uh, he says it's been a long time since he's talked to you, but says uh, he says hello. So he's got a Hustler t- he's got a Hustler T-shirt, so that's cool. But if every listener gets a Hustler <laughs> T-shirt from Pro Wrestling Tees, you know, hell, fuck, I make about five bucks a goddamn shirt, so I made fifteen dollars so far in my life from him. <laughs> back on me. But anyway, uh, don't be afraid to get your house for feature from ProWrestlingTees.com, and that way uh, I can. Uh, and hey, I got some, I got Paul Steve and Mick Foley. Uh, he paid for them, so uh, shout out to him, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rip, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.